What's going on, everybody? Y'all doing all right? Yeah, good to see you. I like it. I like it. Man, I, I just want to stop for a minute. This is our last week here. And so I want to thank East Coast. If y'all would just give them a shout. It's been fantastic. Y'all have been amazing. Thank you for letting us be here and serving us. Man, y'all, it's just been incredible. We can't thank you enough. So next week we are going to be at ITMS. Super excited about that. So I've got a lot to cover. And so we're going to go ahead and jump in. We are in several weeks into the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6. And our series is Your Kingdom Come. And here's the thing. We're in that phrase in the prayer. And so we, I, I want you to see something on the screen, though. And, and there's several reasons why I'm showing this. So it's going to bring you back to like eighth grade geography. But here we go. Here's the first image. This is a drought map of Florida. All right, next one. This is a population map of Florida. Next one. This is a soil map. I know some of y'all are like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna fall asleep. Like, what are you doing to me? And some of y'all are like going back to eighth grade and you're getting anxiety because you didn't do well in geography. That was me. But anyways, so soil map of Florida. Next one, sinkhole map of Florida. By the way, when we moved here, Never heard of sinkholes, but like showed up and they were like, hey, you got to watch out where you buy a house. And my wife automatically like went into like super stress mode. She's like, what is a sinkhole? What's going to happen? We can't buy a house here. And I was like, honey, I'm in Enneagram 7. Everything's going to be fine. Jesus is in control. Who cares? We'll be, we'll be good. So, all right, side note. But all right, this is what I want to ask you about all these images. Okay. Which one of these is true? The answer would be they're all true. They're all accurate of what they portray in the area in different ways, right? Which one of those was, y'all can say this one out loud. Which one of these is a map of Florida? All of them, right? Here's the thing. The issue, the phrase, and the idea that we're going to be discussing today has so many different angles, so many different viewpoints, so much so that theologians and pastors have said the idea of the kingdom of God, which is what we're going to be discussing today, the kingdom of God is the center of the scriptures. So from Genesis to Revelation, if we were going to say there's one center of the scriptures, it would be the kingdom of God. Not everybody thinks that, but it is a huge subject. There's no way that I can cover all the angles, the nuances, and everything about the kingdom of God. So here's my hope. My hope is, is that we will give you a working definition. By working, I mean you're going to continue to think and pray through this as you seek the scriptures. I'm going to give you different viewpoints of the kingdom. And then we're going to apply this verse, this prayer to our lives. That's my goal. That's my hope by the time that we are done today. So we're going to go ahead and jump in to our prayer today, which is the Lord's Prayer Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Let's go. Our Father in heaven, first week, hallowed be your name, which was last week. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. So I want to root into this word into this prayer first before we go outside of it. 
I want to ground us in this text. So what what does Jesus say? Jesus says, hey, this is the way, this is how I want you to pray. To the Father first. So when you pray, pray to the Father who is both near and far, who's imminent and transcendent, who's an incredible Father, better Father than you will ever have on earth. Pray to that God. Pray to that Father. And not only are you to pray to the Father in heaven, but hallowed be your name. I want you to pray and think about when you're praying that your life and your relationship with God would be so drastically different than any other relationship, than any other thing in the entire world. I want you to hallow his name in such a way that he's set apart, that he's different, that he's considered to be holy. And so our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. It's crazy. What is a kingdom? Like what is the kingdom of God? That's where we're diving in. As a matter of fact, I sent to a Marco Polo. If any, anybody in here use Marco Polo ever? It's like a video chat. Anyways, so I, I Marco Polo with nine, I think, other pastors. And I just put it on there. This was this morning. Or no, yesterday. Hey, guys, what is the kingdom of God? Go. Nobody said anything. You know why? It's so broad. It's so vast. And there's so much to it. They're all like, I'm not touching it, bro. I literally had one of the guys did respond. He's like, Are you serious? You want me to Marco Polo the answer to what is the kingdom of God? It's such a, it's such a nuanced subject and it's a hot topic right now in Christian circles. That's why I'm saying have a working definition because people are, are, as they read the scriptures, they're figuring it out. So here we go. What is God's kingdom? I'm going to give you the three most prevalent answers to that. The first one is rule. Is God's kingdom is the rule of God or the reign of God. It's his supremacy. Okay? The second one is realm. That when it says the kingdom of God, it means a place, the realm of God. And there's nuances to that, but so rule or realm or both. Okay? So those are the three major views. And so we're going to dive in and we're going to look at different at each one. First one, rule or reign? Let's look at the scriptures. This is an example of it. Psalm 103 verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. The word kingdom in this verse is synonymous with reign. R-E-I-G-N. Listen, let's read it again. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his reign rules over all. You see that? Not his realm. You wouldn't read that and go, well, his realm rules over all. No, no, no. His supremacy rules over all. There's many, there's a ton of other examples throughout scripture. Okay, I'm not gonna read them all. You can look up, you can even Bible gateway, kingdom of God. Go there. Next one, realm. Matthew 5, 18. For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Jesus is speaking in the Sermon on the Mount at this point. Therefore, whoever, any of you suckers, that's what he's saying. Whoever does this, 
Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the where? The kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, but, excuse me, but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great. Where? In the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, big deal, right? It's only through Jesus' righteousness that we can be called as holy and set apart and be new creatures, but exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the where? The kingdom of heaven. And in case you're like getting all nuanced, some of you are like, well, is the kingdom of heaven the same as kingdom of God? Yes, it is. It's consistent throughout Matthew. Scholars, theologians, pastors all agree on There's very few who think differently. It's consistent to be the kingdom of God is the kingdom of heaven. And so you get these two pictures in scripture that it's his rule and his reign and that it's also his realm. And so which one is it? Is there one that's more important? Is there one that's more significant? And so I just want to, I want to continue down this idea. Okay. Here's another way of seeing the kingdom. Matt Chandler He's got a six-minute video, which is fantastic. You should go look it up. He, he says the kingdom of God is like three words. Dwelling, dominion, and dynasty. I love it. And so I'm just giving you different aspects of what the kingdom of God is in Scripture. So dwelling. It's this idea that in three words the Bible can be summed up. God with us. That God dwells with us. From Genesis to Revelations, think about it. God with us in the garden. God with Adam in the garden. That he shows up at the tabernacle. God with the Israelites. That he shows up in the temple. That he shows up at Pentecost. God with us. When he walks on land, Jesus with us. God with us. And then all the way to the new creation and the new heavens, God will be with us for eternity. The dwelling of God, his kingdom from front to back. But not just his dwelling, but dominion. That God calls Adam in Genesis 1, 26 and following and Eve, that what does he do? He creates them. He says, hey, I want you to have dominion over the earth. But I don't want it to stay in the garden. I want it to spread through the whole creation, through the whole earth. And so the goal, the hope was that Adam and Eve, that they would overcome the serpent, right? That was the hope, the hope that they would see his lie. They would know the wisdom and the goodness and the truth and that they would reject that lie, that they would reject that temptation and they would have dominion over the serpent. But it wasn't until Jesus came, right? It was when Jesus came and he goes into a desert for 40 days and 40 nights. And what does he do? He shows dominion over Satan. He's tempted. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not going to fall for that. I know the wisdom and the truth of God. There's a better kingdom. There's a better way. And it's not your way. And he overcomes Satan. And then he ultimately overcomes. He has dominion over sin, Satan, and death. He dies on a cross. He rises from the dead and he ascends into heaven. Right? He has dominion and he calls us as kingdoms of light. 
We're called out of darkness and into the light. And when we do that, he's calling us to have dominion as creatures, as followers of him. And that when we do that, we point to a better kingdom. We point to the rule and the reign of God. And then in the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth, what happens? God says that, hey, we are going to have dominion with God in a new created earth. It's this kingdom. But not just that. It's not just dwelling and dominion. It's dynasty. It's this picture. This is beautiful. God set up this whole thing in the garden. And I don't know if you think about it this way, but when I read the passages in Genesis, there's a lot more royalty there than I think is lended. And so when I read the scriptures in Genesis and I see he's got Adam and Eve, it's almost like a king and a queen. They're, they're overseeing the land. They're having dominion, right? And it's this picture of, hey, I'm with you. You're made in my image. You represent me. You're an ambassador of me in the garden. And I want you to extend that dominion. And here's what my ultimate hope is, is that we would have a dynasty. And so Jesus comes, he sets everything right through the cross, right? Rises from the dead. And then what does he say? One day I'm going to come back and I'm going to set up a kingdom like no other. We're going to restore the creation. And you know what's going to happen? You are going to be a co-heir with me. You are a son and a daughter. You're going to be part of my dynasty. You're going to be part of my kingdom. And you are going to rule and reign forever. It's the kingdom. It's just another angle, another picture of the kingdom. It's beautiful. The best definition that's simple that I've seen of the kingdom is this. Jeremy Treat, it's the kingdom of God in eight words. The kingdom is God's reign through God's people, over God's place. I love that. It's through God's reign, through God's people, over God's place. So I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I told you we've got a lot to cover, so I want to dive in a little deeper. Here's another definition. This is where I lean. Okay, George Eldon Ladd, he wrote a book on gospel and the kingdom of God. He notes this. The primary meaning of both the Hebrew word Malkuth in the Old Testament and the Greek word Basileia in the New Testament, which is kingdom, is the rank, authority, and sovereignty exercised by the king. A Basileia or kingdom may indeed be a realm over which a sovereign exercises his authority, and it may be the people who belong to that realm and over whom authority is exercised. But listen to this. But these, the people and the land, are secondary and derived meanings. First of all, a kingdom is the authority to rule the sovereignty of the king. So let's go back to the text. Jesus says, your kingdom come. You're about to see why this matters so much. If it's his rule and his reign or if it's his realm. It dramatically affects the way that we live, the way that we do church, the way that we think about so many things. So he says, hey, listen, your kingdom comes. So does that mean now or in the future? And if it means a realm, am I, am I supposed to make this place a better place to live? Or is it just your authority and your reign over my life? And so I live for you. Which one is it? Has this work out? So let's, let's, let's handle one at a time. 
Let's talk about when. Your kingdom come. Now or in the future? Yes. Right? That's what we see in Scripture. That it's both present and future. We call it the already but not yet. So his kingdom has already come. His rule and his reign is already here, but it's also coming in its fulfillment when Jesus returns. I'm going to give you a bunch of verses. They're not all going to be on the screen, but here we go. So the present, present kingdom. Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is in your midst, Jesus says. It's present. It's here. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Watch this. He says, hey, the kingdom's here. You know what that means? My rule and my reign is present. And then he says these words, repent and believe the gospel. My rule, are you going to submit to my rule? Are you going to submit to my reign? Are you going to come under me? That's what he says. It's here. Are you going to submit to it? Are you going to repent? Are you going to believe the good news of Jesus? Matthew 12, 28. But it is by the Spirit of God that I, this is so interesting to me, that I cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. You could see that as realm. Or you could see it as rule and reign. Watch this. Jesus says, now that I'm here, now that my rule and reign is here, the demons flee. It's a different kingdom. It's a different world. Now that I'm here. It's pretty cool. Then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's a whole new deal. Future, all right, so that was present. There's so many more. We could go on and on and on. Future, I'm just giving you some examples. Luke 19, 11. The kingdom of God is not going to appear immediately. There's something coming. Luke 21, 31. So also when you see these things taking place, and he gives all these examples that we should be aware of, that we should be checking the times and the seasons, even though we'll never know the exact date. Anybody tells you a date, run, right? So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. It's in the context of the second coming. The parable of the weeds, Matthew 13, points to a future. The parable in Matthew 25 speak of a future kingdom. There's so many more. It's this already but not yet aspect to the kingdom. So why does this matter? Okay, Clint, rule, realm, present, future. Watch this. Where you land can heavily influence what do you think the primary mission of the church is? It will. It takes you a couple more steps to get there, but this is where it starts, or it's a big starting point. Listen to this. If the kingdom is present now, and it's his rule and his reign, let's just take that side. What that means is, if you land on that side, it means that as a church, your primary responsibility is to share the gospel, to make disciples, to evangelize, and there's other things we would put there. Now watch this. If it's realm and you lean towards that angle, what does that mean? If the realm of the kingdom of God is here now and it should be exercising through believers and specifically the church sent, what does that mean? It means you are transforming culture. 
It means that, that you are bringing all kinds of things to change the culture, to make it beautiful, to make it good, to make it shalom, whatever that looks like. And that's where you fall into social justice. That's where you fall into all kinds of things that you would do around the world. You see the difference? It's a big difference. And so it matters. It's not the only way, but it matters kind of where you land on this. And so let me ask it like this. I'm just going to bring it down. Is the primary purpose of the church to spread the good news or to care for the poor? Some of you are going, yes. Right? Uh, uh. Right? Yes. We, we, we would say, some people would say, right? So I, I, I want to distinguish again. I'm going to take some of the weight off of this decision for you as you pray and think and read the scriptures as you work it out. There's a difference between the corporate institution, which we would call the local body of believers, the church, and an individual. There's a difference. And, you know, if you're thinking, okay, but I thought the church is not a building, it's the people. Yes, absolutely. But there's also an institution. So I'll give you some examples. As a, as a pastor, right, I do weddings, funerals. Um, there, there's, there's all kinds of examples on that end. Let, let me put it in another way. Are you personally responsible of excommunicating someone? Are you personally responsible to baptize yourself? Are you personally responsible to do communion alone? Right? I, I could give you a whole lot more, a whole lot more examples. But do, do you see, there's a difference between the institution and personal responsibility as a follower of Jesus, someone who is under the rule and the reign of Christ. So I, I'm going to tell you where I land. I lean towards reign and rule. As a matter of fact, I didn't even say this last hour. I read through, I think it was 55 references of the kingdom in Matthew, and predominantly from my own, as of my own reading, it was reign and rule. There were examples where it was realm or could be interpreted that way. But I lean towards reign. And so I believe, and, and you know, grace operates this way in a lot of ways. So let's just make this practical for a second. The primary purpose of the institution church is to preach the gospel, right? To make disciples. And we, we could put some other things around that. Equip the believers, Ephesians chapter 4. But here's the idea. We preach the gospel, we teach the word, we administer the sacraments. And then what do we do? We send people out. They're sent ones. So that's the picture. That's what I think the primary purpose of the local church is. And that's why, that's part of the reason, it's not the only reason, that's why we don't do a ton of programs. You can go to certain churches and they've got a program for everything. We're going to do this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And I'm not hating on them. That's, they, they see the kingdom as rule and realm. So their primary purpose is dual all the time. So they're constantly doing all this stuff as an institution, not as individuals. Maybe they do it as individuals too, but you get my point. And so we at Grace, we have a few strategic partners. Why? Because we want to make the primary, the, the making of disciples, baptizing, teaching the word, because we see it as a rule, as a reign. That's the kingdom. And so uh, one of the things I say a lot, so in, in other words, I would say that we have a simple church model in a lot of ways. 
One of the things that I say to people all the time is that we have very few things that are centralized, but we do a lot of things that are decentralized as a church, as the people of God. I'll give you an example. Former church. We had a small group. Somebody in our group, the guy could never get a job. He tried. He looked. We tried to help him. He just could not get a job. Year and a half passed. They were broke. Their car died. They have four kids. Okay? They're doing everything they can. She's working. He's trying to do whatever he can do. They don't have any car. What do we do as a group? The entire group decided to raise money. They got him a brand new car. Hyundai, SUV, out of pocket. That was people saying, I'm under the rule and the reign of Christ. And we want to be generous. We want to care for our people. And so we are going to get him a car and her a car that's reliable, that can carry all their kids. And so they went and did it. I'm going to give you another example. This one's recent. My GC leader comes to me and he says, hey, man, we're going to do this thing. So excited about it. We're going to have a daddy-daughter dance because the other church that we normally go to that does it isn't doing it. And so he, in a matter of like 15 minutes, literally posted it and it got full, 150, 160 people. It was really a day, but I'm, I'm just joking. But like, it was this awesome event and he's saying, hey, do you want to make this a grace thing? And I was saying, hey, why don't you just do your thing and continue with it? I think it's going to be awesome. You're going to love families. You are being the church in that way. And so he did it. And it was awesome. It's going to be awesome. It's in a few weeks. He's super excited about it, right? My hope and my prayers is that you would see in this that we aren't as an institution called to do every little thing, but what we are called to do is to equip you so that you can go out. So here's what that could look like. And, And we see it all the time in different individuals at Grace. But a a small group, a GC would literally say, hey, we've got this passion. We want to go to Ecuador or we want to go to Guatemala or we want to go to India. And so that that GC literally comes together and says, hey, we're going to do this and we are going to go. And there are so many different passions and callings and things that God calls individuals to do throughout our community. And it's incredible. It's incredible. And God's saying, I want you to equip them send them out. Equip them and send them out. This also becomes personal for me. As I think through these scriptures, as I think about the kingdom of God, I think about what I do with my money. I think about the decisions that I make with organizations. I'll give you an example. Years ago, we gave to an organization that is gigantic. It's a mammoth. They do incredible things all around the world. And one of the things that they do is they go into a a tribe or a place and they set all this stuff up and they support the town. And so we were giving money towards it. It was helping people in need. We were super excited about it. The more I dived into it, the more I looked in the scriptures, I felt like, okay, God, I want to maximize the money that I'm sending wherever I'm going. And so I, I looked at the situation and I realized that they are completely humanitarian and they aren't bringing the gospel or any kind of system for for discipleship or making disciples at all. And so we backed out and we picked up something like Compassion International, right? Because what do they do? They care for people in need and they bring the gospel. They bring discipleship. They, they put the two together. So when I look at this, I go, hey, if I'm going to consider the kingdom as rule and reign, I don't just want to do human, humanitarian work in my heart. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it. I'm not saying that it's bad for you to give your money to it. I'm just telling you as I read the scriptures, his kingdom is his rule and his reign of King Jesus. 
And so whatever I do and whatever I'm a part of, that's my hope, that's my goal, and that's my dream. And that's what we give to, right? So it's personal for me. So I, I, I want to go back to this verse. Your kingdom come. Think of it this way. There's a king and he's got a kingdom. But when Jesus says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. You know what that means? Not your kingdom, his. There's this temptation in my heart, in our hearts, that what? That we want a kingdom without a king all the time. We want a kingdom without a king. And what happens is, is that we become the king of our kingdom. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Pray his kingdom come, not your kingdom. You see, there's this guy, there's this Satan, this, this horrible evil of darkness. John 10, 10 says that Satan came to kill, steal, and destroy. And he will. If you don't watch it, if you don't pay attention, if you don't see, right? He's going to try and deceive you and take things from you and lead you astray. And so as I look at this and it says, your kingdom come, man, I want, I want to watch out that I'm not just fulfilling my own kingdom. So I'm going to go to Luke chapter 6. And here's the reason why I'm going here. Luke 6 is very similar. Some people would say it's the same as the Sermon on the Mount. He starts with the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are da, 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 just like Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, where we are. And then right after that, he gives woes. Interesting language. What's a woe? Is it a threat? It's not. It's a, I'm disappointed and I'm really sad. I'm grieved over this. So listen to this text. And Jesus is talking about an upside down kind of kingdom or a right side up kingdom. This is the kind of values, this is the kind of system you should have when it comes to the kingdom of God. That's why I'm going to this text. Luke chapter 6, verse 24. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh or gloat now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. I always read this verse and these verses, and I was like, man, what is Jesus talking about? Like, what? This sounds really like, oh, can we not have happiness? Can we never smile? Like, oh, what does this mean? Here's what it means. Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you don't have the right values, you are going to miss the kingdom. If you don't have the right perspective and outlook in this life, you are going to miss the rule and the reign of Jesus in your life. So I'm going to say it a different way. Let's take them again. He says, but whoa, I'm grieved to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. I'm grieved, take the word rich and consider power. I'm telling you, woe is you if your value of a kingdom system is power. If that's your value in life, if that's what you care about, if that's truly your kingdom, man, woe is you, you missed it. 
you missed it. For you have received everything that you're going to receive. All the power that you have now is going to stop one day. And that's going to be it. You will no longer have power. Next one. Woe to you who are full now. For you shall be hungry. Here's the picture. Woe to you who has a value system of comfort. Where you love the ease in your life. Everything's great and it's just easy and you have all that you need, you're full of life. Woe to you who are comfortable and that's your number one value in your life. Woe to you, you missed it. You missed it. You missed my kingdom. You missed my rule and my reign. Woe to you who laugh or gloat. You know, I always read this verse and I was like, okay, so we're not supposed to be happy? Like I'm an Enneagram 7. I love to laugh. What are you doing to me, Jesus? Like I can't watch a comedy? Am I supposed to just stop never laugh again? What are you talking about? The word literally means it holds the idea of gloating. Like the person who's super, I'm going to put the word in, successful. The person who's like, man, I got it all. My company's killing it. I got the bomb wife. Everything with my kids is great. Woo, let's go, right? Woe to you who gloats. Woe to you who's holding on and that's your value system. I got everything worked out. I don't need you. I don't need your rule or your reign. You're gonna mourn and weep. Interesting language. Jesus says that, In the judgment, there's going to be gnashing of teeth. (laughs) Woe to you when all people speak well of you. So their fathers did to the false prophets. There was these false prophets and what did they do? They spoke in such a way that people's ears were tickled. They, they, They told them what they wanted to hear and how they wanted to hear it. And they got praise and approval. And he's saying, hey, woe to you if your value system, if what you care about is your kingdom is approval. Woe to you. You missed it. You missed it. And I just think about this. And you know what I think about? Really recently, and it's a tragedy. It's terrible. This this man who is considered a sage, this man who I looked up to, that so many people looked up to, who was full of wisdom, who seemingly loved Jesus, right? He was this guy that had this huge intellect. He was a philosopher. Everybody just thought, man, this guy has it all. He's got it on point. And then he died. And then he was exposed. He was exposed for multiple, I mean multiple, more than I can probably count or that we're aware of, of indiscretions of sexual relations with women. And used his power of position as a leader, as a follower of Jesus, he used his power to wield women in. Ravi Zacharias. You can say there are allegations Maybe that's all it is, but there are a ton of them, a ton. And I just think, man, like how, how did this happen? How much justification did you have to have? How much deception did you have to live out and believe? 
And then I read this passage and I go, oh my gosh, how much justification and deception do we have in the American church, in our nation, and probably around the world where we're going, we got it. It's power, it's success, it's approval. And Jesus is saying, you missed it. You missed it. It's crazy. Man, just think about this passage. And he's going to say to so many that we think are going to be in the kingdom, he's say, I never knew you apart from me. His kingdom, his rule, and his reign. So Jesus comes and he says, hey, listen. Don't mess it. This is how you need to pray. It's God, our Father in heaven. It's all about his name, not yours. And it's about his kingdom. His kingdom to come, not yours. And so I land that with you wherever you are, that you would say, you know what, Jesus? I'm going to submit to you. I recognize that my kingdom isn't enough, that that my glory isn't enough, that my fame, that my whatever fill in the blank, whatever that is, it is not enough. Your kingdom is so much greater. And so I submit to you. I see your beauty. I see that you have a plan and it's better than mine. I'm going to give my life to you. I am. And so as you're praying through this, as you're thinking through this, and you're going, man, where am I in all of this? Next week, we're going to be specifically and clearly praying and asking that God would lead people to Christ. And so maybe you're sitting in this room and you're going, okay, I know where I stand before the Lord. Do you know people who don't? Your mission, your primary mission is to get people to come to know Jesus on this earth. That's how you expand the kingdom. That's the primary mission. So if it's not you, maybe it's somebody you do know. And they could hear the gospel next week. Or maybe they could hear it from your mouth in a room. But that's our calling that his kingdom would come. And we want to be a part of it. Whether it's us submitting to his rule or us exercising his rule to others. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word. God, I know that this is super heavy Heavy text. And heavy text, God, I pray that you would make us aware of your rule and reign and that we would submit to it, that we would give our lives to you, Jesus. And God, that that you would expand your kingdom through your church, that we would expand your rule and your reign through people coming to know Jesus in all that they do and in all that they are. Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins and saving us and changing us and loving us and making us new. We love you in Jesus' name.